Living God, we do thank you for your goodness and your grace, and uh, we ask now that your spirit would be probing our hearts, you would be loosening my tongue, that you would be uh, opening all of our ears so that we could hear not just words, but we would hear your voice, that we would be quick to respond and eager to do what you would have us do, to become who you would have us become, to really and fully be your people this day and throughout this year. And always we pray in Jesus' name together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, this really is a wonderful time of the year for so many different reasons. Uh, Christmas Eve, uh, we had our earlier Christmas Eve service with a lot of our families and young kids. And uh, when I asked the question, if you believe this is the greatest time of the year, raise your hand. There wasn't a, a single hand not raised that evening. And I know they're anticipating the morning to come on Christmas morning, and uh, that is one of the great reasons, of course, that uh, we celebrate. But for me and others, uh, there is another reason that this is one of the greatest times of the year, and that's because there are so many great football games <laughs> on. Now, my, uh, my beloved Oklahoma Sooners lost their game. In fact, they got crushed pretty hard. But it did get me thinking and reminiscing as... Uh, uh, we're off like to do, and uh, I began to think about playing in football in high school, and uh, I remember uh, as a sophomore learning, I, I was a linebacker, and uh, I was learning some of the, the finer nuances of the game, and uh, what what sports really offered me, and football in particular, was an understanding of how different parts fit together, and how uh, the various responsibilities uh, fit together. Now, I love defense, and I knew that if the defensive end did his job, and the nose tackle did his job, and the safety behind me did his job, and if I did my job, then things worked out pretty good. If we learn to trust one another, it would make all the difference in the world for us. Now, as my coach was teaching me how to play linebacker, he was showing me in, in demonstrating to me certain keys that I would have. If the offensive lineman made this particular move, if he stepped this way, then my instant response should be this. And it took me, I'm a pretty thick-headed guy, and it took me practice after practice of just kind of bewilderment, not understanding what was happening. Why don't I just follow the ball and tackle the guy with the ball? Well, it turns out it's not quite that easy, and it works out better if I do my job and the coach can trust me to do my job, and I can trust all the other players to do their jobs. This uh, relationship of trust makes all the difference. And I still remember, clear as day, the one afternoon practice where all of a sudden everything clicked. And I read the key of the offensive guard in front of me, and he moved this direction, and I did exactly what I was supposed to do at exactly the time I was supposed to do it, and guess where I found myself? where I found the ball carrier in my arms and quickly on the ground because I love to tackle. Now, that taught me an important lesson that I could trust my coaches. If I would just entrust myself to their teaching and know and understand and really believe that they knew better than I did, that I could actually follow their instruction, that it would bear out better for me and I would become a much better part of the team. Trust is so important in any relationship that we have. It is essential in marriage. Chris and Nikki, you're going to find that out. Trust is so important to having a healthy and blessed marriage. 
Trust is important in business. If we're going to have uh, contracts that can be held together, and uh, trust is important if you're a student with, uh, between you and your teacher. Your teacher needs to be able to trust you to be honest and work hard, and you have to trust that your teacher will evaluate your work fairly. Trust is so critical in life and in the way that we develop in our living. Brennan Manning wrote a book titled Ruthless Trust, and he shares a story when he was six years old about how trust can sometimes be broken and how it affects our lives. He, he grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and he says, One snowy night when I was six years old, my father returned home from a hard day of job hunting and asked my mother how we boys had behaved. He had a brother who was a, a year and a half older than him, so he was six years old. His brother was seven and a half His mom, pointing to his brother, said, Rob, he's been incorrigible. I want you to march him down to the police station right now. Tell the cops to put him in jail and leave him there. And my father did just that. I knelt on the broad windowsill with my nose pressed against the glass, hoping against hope that my brother would return. Half an hour later, my father came walking up the street alone. The terror of rejection and abandonment gripped my heart. Tears rolled down my cheeks. Trembling, I realized that there was no one to protect me. I was utterly alone. I knew that I would be next. (laughs) Then I saw Rob about 30 yards behind my father. He was making a snowball. The inner panic subsided a bit, though I was still scared and shaken. Wiping the tears from my eyes, I climbed down the sill, assumed the macho position of a little boys-don't-cry six-year-old, and pretended disinterest in the traumatic event that haunted me for years. Sometimes trust can be broken. Sometimes we can trust in the wrong things to provide us with the fulfillment that we so desperately seek and that only really God can provide. People can fail us. Worldly passions and their promise of pleasure, they entice us, but in the end they leave us haggard and tattered, worn and torn. The pursuit of wealth can delude us. On and on we could make a list. And there are consequences to misplaced trust. We get tangled up in our lives. We get tangled up with worry and discontentment and jealousy and sin. We suffer deflating fatigue, spiritual fatigue, emotional fatigue, physical fatigue, and disabling discouragement when we place our trust in the wrong areas, in the wrong places. How should we focus our lives here this first Sunday? Of 2016. How can we know that we are rightly placing our trust in that which is true, that which is strong, that which is lasting? Well, I am so glad you asked because we're going to read together Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to think together about growing and developing in our trust of God. Hebrews chapter 12. The first three verses. 
God says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Having our eyes glued to Jesus. That is the place, of course, where we must place our trust. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our ears on Jesus, fixing our hearts on Jesus. I love the story of the old Sunday school teacher. For those of you who grew up in church, um, you will relate to this likely. The Sunday school teacher asks, now children, I, I want you to answer this question. Tell me, what is brown and has a furry tail and often runs across the telephone lines and loves to eat nuts? One of the children in the class says, well, thanks to himself, oh gosh, it sure sounds a lot like a squirrel, but I know the answer should be Jesus. <laughs> right? That's the world. <laughs> trust and learning to trust in Jesus. It is forged in the relationship. It's forged in learning to walk with him every day of our lives. It's a friendship. It's a relationship. It is my willingness to rely upon him. And it's blended with his history of trustworthiness. That's how trust is built. It's my willingness to put my faith and dependence upon someone else and their history of faithful response to me. That's how faith is built or broken. Developing trust requires at least two things. It requires faith and it requires hope. Developing trust with God in our walk and relationship with Jesus requires faith in the presence of Jesus, that he is present with you. It requires faith in his presence. It also requires hope in his promise. These are the two things that Jesus himself assured us of, that he would be present with us and that he has made promises for us. Let's think about together the first one about faith. The scripture says to fix your eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the originator and the one who completes our faith. Faith in the person of Jesus comes through an encounter in a very personal way with him. He is the one who initiates faith. He is the one who draws us to himself. And our response is one of loving obedience. You see, knowing that Jesus is present with us helps us to live with gratefulness. G.K. Chesterton once famously wrote that the worst moment for an atheist is when he or she feels grateful but has no one to thank. 
Another writer says, when people realize that they have received a gift that they can never repay, they notify their faces and their actions. And the tenor of their lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving. They simply rejoice in the gift. And then he recites Psalm 107. 1, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love is everlasting. You see, knowing that Jesus is present, that he is here with us, helps us to live with gratefulness. It helps us to receive the gifts of life with humility as a true gift from the hand of God. Knowing that Jesus is present with us also helps us to endure hardship, doesn't it? Because we have a bigger perspective of our lives. Earlier in Hebrews, in chapter 10, the original receivers of this letter had been going through persecution where they had been publicly insulted and had their property confiscated. And he... uh, The writer here encourages them and commends them because God had seen them through their hardship because they knew that they had a better and lasting possession in the Lord Jesus. He goes on in chapter 11 to describe Moses who persevered through his own series of hardships. Even when the king of Egypt wanted to kill him, it was because of his relationship with God that he was able to endure and to see his life in a broader and bigger perspective. It was faith. Faith that develops out of a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ is what develops trust in Him throughout your lifetime. But there's a second part because faith needs to be blended with hope. In the last verse here, he's, uh, we're encouraged uh, with these words, consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, so that you will not enter into a place of hopelessness. You see, faith plus hope equals trust. Trust in God. We are to hope in God's promises, that He is willing to forgive and to cleanse you of your wrongdoing. He is willing to take the calendar of your life and to wipe it fresh and clean. His promise is to provide you with His strength in place of your weakness. He has promised to never leave you as an orphan or to abandon you because He is your constant companion. One day His promise is that all of the brokenness, all of the ugliness, all of the tattered shards of this world will be made new again and be set right with a new heaven and a new earth. In varying degrees, suffering and loss touch every one of our lives. But so does the presence of God in Jesus if we have faith in his presence and hope in his promise. These two, faith in Jesus' presence and hope in his promise, add up to an ability to trust God in all circumstances and through every season of life. God loves you. I can think of no greater thing that we need to hear every day, let alone the first Sunday of a new year, is that God loves you. It's so good to be loved by God.
as people who are undeserving of it, yet gripped by Him. A story's been told about a furloughing missionary home in the United States for a a time of rest, and they were at a a lake house, and parents were inside uh, doing something, and the three children were out in the front yard. The oldest was a daughter, 12 years old. Uh, The middle child was a a boy, and the youngest was four years old, and the dad looks outside and uh, hears a scream of the oldest who was in charge of looking out for uh, her brother and sister. The four-year-old had wandered off, and she screamed because she knew he had walked down to the lake, and he was not to be found. And so frantically, the dad runs, and the sister points where she thought he might have gone into the water, and the boy's nowhere to be seen. So he dives into the water, frantically searching in the murky depths of the lake. He comes up once with nothing in his hands. He dives down a second time, comes up a second time, needing oxygen. Without the child in his hands, and a third frantic effort <gasps> fills his, air, his lungs with air and dives down and goes toward the pier. And there he sees, through those murky waters, his son clinging on to the pier under the water. And he swims to him and he peels his fingers off of that pier. And in his arms, he, he emerges up out of the water. And once they were safely onto the shore, he asks him, son, what were you doing? And you know what the son's response was? Just waiting on you, Dad. Just waiting on you. Waiting on you to come and to touch and to rescue. Is that trust? Brennan Manning, his story goes on about his broken trust with his parents. He says, but there's more. One morning in prayer, I was an adult by this time. I had a vivid image of my now deceased mother at age six when she was in the orphanage, kneeling on the windowsill, her nose pressed against the glass, tears streaming down her face as she begged God to send two nice people who would adopt her. Suddenly all the anger simmering within me at my mother, all the resentment I had felt because she hadn't been there for me as a child, it all disappeared. Sobbing, I asked her forgiveness, and with a radiant smile, she said, I I may have messed up, but you turned out okay. As she hugged and kissed me, the greatest enemy of trust in my life was disarmed. Wallowing in shame, remorse, self-hatred, and guilt over real or imagined failings in our past lives betrays a distrust in the love of God. It shows that we have not accepted the acceptance of Jesus Christ and thus have rejected the total sufficiency of his redeeming work. It can't be said enough. God loves you. God loves us. In what way do you need to grow in your trust of God in this coming year, 2016? Two thoughts came to my mind as I prepared today. One is to practice glory glimpsing. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, it is perhaps now. Glory glimpsing. Back a few weeks ago, a friend uh, gave us a telescope, a pretty high-powered telescope, and uh, just a few days before the blood moon came. And we set it up on our patio, and we got to see the blood moon as if it was right here in front of our faces. It was really remarkable. That telescope is, 
it has a great ability to take that which is far away and to make it feel very, very close. Because we can't reach out and touch it. We can only wonder about what it is. And that's what I'm suggesting about glory glimpsing, is to approach this year with a desire to glimpse the glory of God. To have some sort of understanding and a deepening appreciation for it. Of course, the grandeur of God is far too big for us. It's kind of like trying to catch a hurricane in a butterfly net. Or going out to the San Francisco Bay and trying to measure all the waters there with a teaspoon. It's, it's impossible to comprehend the immensity of God. But my hope for us this year is that we would, we would approach God with a simple prayer. God, show me some of your glory. Help me to appreciate the vastness of who you are. Help me to understand even slightly better the transcendent reality that makes you the God of the universe. Pray for an awareness and a deeper wonder of God's majesty and his immensity. So that's one encouragement I would recommend for you this year is to approach this year with a desire and a prayer of glory glimpsing. A second one is uh, attentiveness. Being attentive to the presence of Jesus in your daily living. Because the reality of God's presence and essence is one side of the coin is his transcendence, his incomprehensible nature and person. But the other side of that coin is his eminence, his very real closeness. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That's why Christmas actually is better than football. It really is. Praise the Lord. I hear that. But Christmas reminds us every year that God has come to be with us. He has come close. He's not there. He's here. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The transcendent God coming to live among his people, to breathe and to sweat and to smell. The infinite taking on finitude. God is not there. He is also here. Attentiveness and glory glimpsing perhaps are two ways that God would invite you this year to develop and deepen in your ability to trust in Him. To trust Him in all things. To receive the gifts of life with humble gratitude. To evaluate the hardships of life through the lens of His great presence and the ability for Him to hold you. Don has already mentioned it, that we know this church has gone through so many transitions in these recent months. And if there's ever been a time for us as a group to trust God, to look together for what He has in store for us, it is now. Perhaps this prayer might be your prayer of trust. And we'll close with this. Abba, into your hands I entrust my body, my mind and spirit in this entire day, morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Whatever you want for me, I want for me. Falling into you and trusting in your, trusting in you in the midst of my life. Into your heart I entrust my heart, feeble, distracted, insecure, uncertain. 
Father, into you I abandon myself in Jesus our Lord. Amen.